Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. We are in episode 18 of our Bible study called A Life-Changing Connection. And when we left off Saturday, we pretty much figure we pretty much left out finished Ephesians 4 where we talked about apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers as gifting that God has given the church to move forward. This whole week we're going to talk about a different topic and that topic is leadership. And the reason why I want to spend time on leadership is because we really, really, really do need to spend some time on this topic um, if we're going to move forward as a church uh, into the 21st century. Um, the, the, the role of a leader is perhaps a little bit different than a role of a manager. And let me explain. The, the, a church typically does things the way they've always done things. And so... A manager is somebody that kind of says, this is the way we do things. And then he organizes people to do the things that need to be done in a church or in any organization, right? Any organization has, these are our rules and procedures. These are the people that we hire. These are the salaries that we pay them. These are the hours that they work, right? And a manager is someone who understands all those rules and goes out and just kind of manages the organization in his particular lane. Um, and the same thing is true with a church. Uh, the manager of a church typically is the pastor. And a pastor goes to seminary. And when the pastor goes to seminary, he learns all the rules and procedures of how to run a church, right? You would, not, you would probably be surprised at the level of detail of things that I learned when I went to seminary on how to do various different things. Um, Anything that's done in a church, and I mean anything that's done in a church, I had some touch of that in seminary. And I'm not talking about just worship on Sunday morning. I'm just talking about everything that a church does. Basically, what the seminary is, is an organization that's been around for a long time, has studied how the church operates and how they've always done things, and then they recruit people to go to the seminary and then they teach all of this to people and basically it's a it's a management it's a management course on how to run a church. I mean that's basically what the seminary is. I mean there's other stuff too. I mean you do have to learn doctrine, right? Because you have to understand, you know, the the core doctrines of of the church. You have to in my particular case we had to learn foreign languages so we could read the the Bible in its original language. And, and all those sort of things. But at its root, um, when you go to seminary, it is basically learning how to do basically what we call church. Now, there's a different kind of thing, and that's called leadership. And what do I mean by leadership? Leadership is when you actually run an organization and you realize that a particular thing is not working in the organization, you are keen to see that perhaps there needs to be a modification in the organizational structure or perhaps how you're doing something. Or maybe somebody in the organization comes up with a better way of doing something. And so a good leader says, hey, that would save us 
you know, in an organization, they'd say, hey, that might save us two or 3% on our bottom line if we adopt the what you're doing. And so a good leader would say, okay, let's figure out how to adopt this procedure. Let's make the change in the organization. Let's stop, start operating in a new way. And let's see if we can, you know, bring in our numbers better. Let's see if we can get a 2% better return for the organization because we've adopted this change. And that is different. And in a church, it is very, very difficult. And the reason why it's difficult for a church is because churches always do things the way they've always done it. And... Anytime you make a change in one little area in a church, the ramifications of that change go far and wide. If you change anything about anything that you're doing in, an organ, in a church, particularly in a church, because everything is so interconnected, you make a change over here and it's going to affect all these different things. And that's one of the reasons why churches are just so reluctant to change. Because any change, the ramifications are just huge. And the people that it affects are huge. And, and, and you may not reach all the people that it's going to affect. And so then you're going to have people not only upset with the change, but you're going to have people upset because they weren't aware of the change or they weren't, they didn't have input into the change. And so part of a church is that when you implement change, and I'm not saying I do this very well, by the way, but, but as I've, as I've seen change happen in a, in a church and how it could be done better, as you implement a change, you really, really do need to communicate what change you're considering to all the different, um, leaders of the of the church so that they can tell you what the impact is going to be in their particular ministry area for that change. And then you negotiate and you modify and whatever. But, you know, eventually you cannot stay the same. And the reason why I say that is because we, we've already sa saw uh, in our study last week about how Christ uh, had called the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, that he called all those gifts because a church should, over time, change. I mean, the world around you changes. And so a church should change also. And implementing change in a church requires leadership. And so that's why we're talking about leadership this week, because I believe that the church of the 21st century needs to be prepared for doing things a bit different than they've always been done. And whenever that happens, that requires leadership at every level. And that's why we're going to talk about leadership for the whole rest of the week, because we're going to talk about some of the skills of leadership and why leadership is important and, and how we can empower leadership and grow leadership and how even church leadership can be a change for good in the world. That if we can train people to be, if, if the church can help facilitate growing leaders within the church organization, then those leaders not only impact the church, but they impact the world in which the church serves. And so if by being associated with the congregation, you learn some leadership skills that are helpful for you in your work, that's a wonderful thing. And some of the leadership principles that you're learning at work might be helpful for the church also. It's a two-way street.
You have to remember that the way Jesus did discipleship was he called 12 people around him and then he taught them for three years. The early church kind of did a hybrid of that. They gathered together people and met in small church, you know, house churches and all that sort of thing. But Paul, he went out and planted he planted churches and each church was different. Each situation of each church was different. He developed leaders. He brought leaders together. He said, okay, do this. And then as that went, as he saw issues arise, then he would write letters back to those churches to help, um, you know, kind of get them back to the path that he thought that they should get on. A church, if, a, if you're going to leverage the resources of people that come together in a church to do the mission of the church, which is to make disciples, then you have to organize around that mission and you have to gather leadership around that mission and you send people forward in that mission. That's, that's basically what a church is. And that's why we're talking about it today. Because when we started Christ Lutheran Veil uh, 15, 16 years ago, I had in my head what it was I thought that would make the church extremely effective at doing the work of the church. And that was based upon all my experience of being in a church for so long. And I remember the there was there's a position in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the district level. It's called a mission and ministry facilitator. And that person helps new startup churches kind of get organized and start moving forward. You can't imagine how difficult it is just to take a group of people and form a congregation. It's, uh, it's very exciting, but it's very, very challenging because like who makes the decisions and how are decisions made? We don't have a constitution yet. I mean, how do we move forward? Well, this particular gentleman um, basically helped us move forward as a congregation. And one of the things he told me which just always stuck with me. He said, listen, when you plant a new church, this is the time you have all the freedom in the world to do things the way you think it should be done. And so think of the things that you're doing and what it, what is going well, like what programs are working really, really well and what programs aren't working really, really well. Get rid of the programs that aren't working well and spend your time and effort on the programs that are working well and kind of move forward with that. It's like a restart of your congregation. I mean, because it's a brand new congregation. They don't have an, a church, a person in a new church can't say, we've never done it that way before because the church is brand new. So they can't say that. Although I will tell you that if all the people from the church come from the mother congregation, then there is a way that they've always done it before at the mother congregation. So you are you are somewhat challenged that you've already got that legacy coming into the church and that's what people's expectations are. You know, that's the way we did it at the old congregation, so I think we should do it at, that way at the new congregation. Um, and the other thing that he told me was he said, don't plant a 20th century church. In other words, don't just look at the way it's been done in the past and just do that. He said, really, really consider what new things should be done. Well, my friends, that is great advice, except at that point, I wasn't even a pastor yet. I was a vicar. And so I had no idea <laughs> like what programs were good and effective and what programs weren't good and effective. And so I relied heavily upon the leadership of the mother congregation to kind of help 
through that whole process to see, okay, these are some of the things that you probably should do. These things, they've had their shot and they don't seem to be working well right now. So why don't you not do those things right now? And so that's basically how we started. I, I had no idea what things should be done and what things shouldn't be done. So I asked a lot of people, a lot of questions. The mother church, there was a group of guys that had just planted churches in the Phoenix area. And so once a month, I would drive up to Phoenix and we'd all have lunch together. And we'd talk about what things work and what things don't work. And without their incredible blessing in my life, I, I would have been completely lost. But fortunately, they were earlier in the process than I was and they tried different things and they say, yeah, these are some things you should do and these are some things you shouldn't do. And so that's kind of how we, we, you know, we launched the church. But all of this stuff requires leadership, not management. Management would be kind of just, you know, continuing on the process that you've always done. Leadership truly is evaluating what things are working well and what things aren't working well. I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Um, churches, let, let's say a church has you know, started a program 30 years ago. And I'm not even going to name a program because <laughs> it might hit too close to people. I don't know. But um, I'll just say a program, a program to make widgets. Let's say a church decided 30 years ago they wanted to make widgets and everybody was on board with it because everybody could see that widgets are going to be the thing. And so they come up with this idea, they vet it, they, you know, they, they advertise for it, they create structure for leadership, they do training, they do practice and all that. And everybody's excited because it's something new in the congregation, right? And so everybody gets in, you know, you have a launch date to make widgets and everybody gets together and they do it and it's just wonderful. And it is very effective for a number of years. It is just the best thing that happens in that church. But then what happens? Then it becomes the thing that the church has always done, right? We've always made widgets. This is how we do it. These are the people that we need and all that sort of thing. And pretty soon, instead of everybody being excited about doing this, people kind of say, you know, this is just what we always do. And so the enthusiasm over time is going to wane. And if somebody says, hey, let's change it. Let's make the widget change just a little bit. Typically they're shut down because they've never been done that way before. So you don't make any change. Um, and so, so basically what happens over time is that the enthusiasm wanes, you know, people move on or die off or they move to other ministries or whatever. And pretty soon you're left with a core group of people, maybe 10, 15, 20 years later that, you know, they don't, they're not, maybe they weren't even around when they first started doing this. They're just doing this because this is what the church says we must do. So if we're going to be part of this church, we're going to do widgets, right? So you know, they come in and they dutifully, you know, do widgets and and uh, pretty soon then it becomes hard to recruit people to do widgets because nobody's excited about it. And so people, so now the church is stuck with this, not stuck, but they've got this ministry and they feel like it's a very, very important ministry because they've always done it, but nobody is getting excited. It's hard to recruit people into it. It's, it's you know, it's like pulling teeth. And so the church might actually then go out and hire somebody <laughs> Um, to manage the widget program, right? We're gonna we're gonna go out, you know. This we're gonna do this program, so we're gonna go out. We're gonna we're gonna hire somebody to work on staff to basically keep this program going. And but 
deep down, everybody knows that the enthusiasm for this program has waned. Maybe the effectiveness of this program has waned. And so imagine how how weird it sounds to act for the church to actually spend money to hire somebody to run a program that that just doesn't really do anything anymore. I mean, that that it just seems to have lost its value. One of the ways you can tell if a program is really hitting home or not is how much excitement is developed based upon that program. Like if you mention this program and everybody's rushing around to do this program because it's got so much excitement and so much energy behind it, then you know you've got a home run going. But if it's like pulling teeth to get somebody to do this program, then perhaps it's time to reconfigure the program or, you know, stop it, restart it or whatever. The last thing you should ever do as a church is to kind of put resources and hire people to try to keep a program going long after the program, you know, has has done its useful life. I'll tell you, uh, uh, one of the programs at our church is uh, is our early childhood ministry, which started in 2013. And this program is still continuing to grow. It's still attracting a lot of people and a lot of excitement. People want to be a part of the program. It's just an amazing program. Um, and and if you look at the horizon of where this program could go, the, the, uh, it's it's got a lot, a lot of years left in it. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just so exciting. There's so much energy behind it. And when you've got a program like that, man, you just tap into those programs and you move forward because they're so wonderful. But I could see a time, 10, 15, 20 years, where it's just not where it becomes almost a chore. And how do you how do you protect a congregation or a program to where it doesn't become a chore anymore? And the answer is change. That at some level, you should, as an organization, take a look at a program and say, is it really meeting the need or not? And if it's not meeting the need, then you bring together leaders a group that looks at the program and they say, how could we make this better? What kind of changes could we make that would build excitement again? People Get people excited about this program again. And you might come up with some great ideas and then you might make the change and change is hard and leaders help direct change in a program. And they, a good leader you know, facilitates the change, manages the change, uh, helps people through the change, gives people you know, heads up on the change. I mean, all that stuff. Uh, that's what a good leader does. But if you all get together, I mean, if people get together and they say, you know, there's really nothing we can do about this program, it's pretty much dead in the water, then you have to make the very, very hard decision to shut it down. This actually happened to me in the last, oh, I'd say six years ago. I was part of, I wasn't part of, I was leading (laughs) a group called the Vail Community Action Board. This was a board that was started on a federal grant the grant ended, but the people didn't want to, didn't want to stop meeting. They, they felt like there was still some good for this community action board to get together. And so they continued to meet. They continued to look at community needs. One of the community needs that was just very apparent was that um, it's, hard to, it's hard to protect the integrity and the DNA of what our community is unless we were to con- create some sort of structure. And so they looked at several different structures coming out of this work. 
it, it was apparent that probably what needed to happen in Vail was Vail to become incorporated. Well, the group that decided, um, the, the group that was in that subcommittee, they said, we need to do it now. And so they left the Vail Community Action Board and they kind of worked on their own for a year trying to get on the ballot in 2014 and it failed. And this was a black mark on the Vail Community Action Board. It kind of just deflated, even though it was just one subcommittee of the 10 things the Vail Community Action Board was doing. And even though this particular group had left the Vail Community Action Board and had kind of started operating on their own, and it really was no reflection on the Vail Community Action Board, uh, it, it, just, it just deflated everybody. And so for a year, we kept trying to think, okay, what's the next thing we can do? And and it became apparent that that really probably what needed to happen was that it was time to 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 close it down. So we made the decision on the executive team that it was time to just basically cut our losses, you know, distribute the funds of the community action board to different nonprofits and just shut it down. And um, that was that was the right decision, even though it was a very difficult decision. A lot of people were very hurt by that decision. And, um, but, but it was, it was just, it was the, it, it would have been a very, very uphill battle to try to get anybody on board with the Vail Community Action Board. Now, I think if that same board was to start from fresh today and gather people together and just to even take the same vision, which was to try to create, you know, to protect the DNA of our rural, beautiful desert culture here in Vail, I think that the people will be very, very excited about that and would jump on board and move forward with it. But, but it's hard to do it when, um, when you, when people are, when there's no energy there, and it takes an incredible amount of energy <laughs> to overcome, uh, you know, a, a massive setback like that. And honestly, I, I kind of had a change of heart too. I mean, if people in Vail don't want to be incorporated, I mean, I saw. 18 different reasons why it would be so good for our community to be incorporated. But if the vast majority of people don't want to be incorporated, um, if they like their rural culture and they don't want an increase of property, it wouldn't be increased property tax, it'd probably be a sales tax of some sort. Um, if they just want to live isolated hermit type lives, then, you know, more power to them. And, um, but who knows where that's going to go in the future. The point is, is that shutting something down is difficult. And it's painful and, and change like that is always difficult. But if you're going to be successful in pursuing the mission and the vision, a good leader then will kind of evaluate what they're doing and say, is it working well? Then great. Let's continue doing it. If it's easy to recruit people into it, then it should still, then it then still do it. If it's, if it's difficult to recruit people, if nobody has excitement, if it's, if it's like pulling teeth, if people are like, I don't even know why I'm going to this tonight because I don't enjoy it, it's not fun, I don't see any, any use for it, then that's when it may be time to consider making a change. And the change could be, let's let's stop it for a while and reconfigure and, and reboot, or the change might be, let's just stop it forever. The change might be, hey, let's gather a group of people and see what in you know what what changes we could make to make it work better. And that takes leadership. And I think a church of the 21st century, when, when this mission and ministry facilitator came to me and said, you know, build a church of the 21st century, I was thinking programs. I was thinking, okay, 
What does worship look like? What does Sunday school look like? What does confirmation look like? What does Bible study look like? What does small group look like? I mean, I was thinking of all that stuff. But I think that the church of the 21st century is a paradigm shift which empowers leadership in the congregation to grow as leaders, not only in the congregation, but in the world around us. I think the church of the 21st century is going to be much, much more concerned with reproducing and growing and building leadership. And then that leadership would then be freed to be able to do the things that, you know, particular vision or whatever of a ministry might do. That we that we actually, I think the church of the 21st century is, is going to all be all about so much potential change, so much new things, so much of looking forward in the future to how we can be more effective at making disciples. And that's going to require constant evaluation of what we're doing and how can we do it better and how can we get that 2% margin or whatever. That it, the church of the 21st century is all about leadership. It's not programs and ministries. It'll create programs and ministries, don't get me wrong. But if you want to be a church that's going to survive for 50 or 100 years, then it is imperative that the church develop and maintain and grow leadership. So that's what we're going to talk about this week uh, because we have more thoughts on that. So uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the incredible leadership that you've already provided in our congregation. So many people over the years. Lord, thank you for that. But as we move forward, Lord, we pray for your wisdom and guidance to grow even more leaders so that we can be a life-changing connection to the world around us. In your name we pray, amen.